Hello and welcome to the Power and Courage podcast. I am Joe, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Isabel von Spruce. Recently, she was on headlines around the globe for being arrested for her thoughts standing outside an abortion clinic. Prior to the arrest, Isabel had a massive influence in the pro-life areas in England and spearheaded many different events, including the March for Life last year. So, Isabel, to start this uh, podcast off, we're going to do a bit of a lighter question. We'll get into the more heavy stuff in a moment. But let's just start this off with, say you found a lamp and a genie came out. What three wishes would you pick? Three wishes from a genie. Now, this is it's going to be difficult on the spur of the moment. <laughs> I'd be a pretty poor pro-lifer if I didn't at least have to choose one of the wishes to end abortion. So that's got to be that's got to All be right, that's one down. Um, so we're going to end abortion. My second wish is going to be <laughs> very niche, um, but okay. I'm somebody as um, I'm a I'm a Catholic and I really love relics. Um, so I would love to have a really obscure relic given to me that I could oh, keep okay. a Catholic relic. Um, All right, that's a that's so an interesting I'll, wish. Yeah, I will choose that as number two. Um, and number three, um, I am very fond of Marmite and carrot sandwiches. So I'm going to have an eternal supply of Marmite and carrot sandwiches because <laughs> whilst I okay. really enjoy eating them, sometimes just the fact of having to make them is a bit of a nuisance. So if I could that just is... have a supply of them, that I would can be say good. I've never had, mar- do you say Marmite and carrot? Marmite and carrot, yeah. Yeah, I've yeah. never had a Marmite and carrot sandwich before. I've, I didn't even know that was a combination that people tried. That is um well if I, I get mean... my wish and get an eternal supply, <laughs> there you are, it's not a problem anyone. All right, that's fine. I mean I might have a try of it. Uh no promises. Uh, I'll give it a good review, but I'll I'll have a try. So first we want to start with, you know, what made you become pro-life in the first place and, and what propelled you to do activism? Um was there anything that happened to you or family stories that you have that kind of just wanted you to, you know, that gave you such conviction? Good question. And I, I think in a way that to be pro-life is, is a natural default position, unless you're taught otherwise. I think unless somebody is some sort of a psychopath, then, then naturally we don't want people to die. We care about people of all ages and all sizes. But um, I was never taught otherwise. I was never taught that a human inside the womb is not a human. I was never taught that that was um, acceptable to an acceptable way to maybe, um, you know, solve any kind of problems so I I grew up always being pro-life and I think maybe one of the things that sort of motivated me was when I was younger I used to love reading um second world war stories Um, okay all right brought out the best and the worst in people when you saw you know these very difficult situations that people were presented with and I think as I was growing older you know, as, as when you read books, you often sort of put yourself in these situations and you're thinking, what would I do in that situation? You know, would I do something? Would I have had the courage to say anything? You know, what would I have done? And I began to realise it wasn't a question of what would I have done then, but what mm-hmm. am I going to do now? You know, and it wasn't like a, is, yeah. a moment when I suddenly realised that, but it was just that kind of gradual thing of like, you know, realising there is there is a situation now that needs to be dealt with. There is a battle going on. Um, and, and there is a whole section of the population that's being attacked in some way. Um, I, I, I completely get what you mean. I think there are a lot of people who kind of 
they like to think of themselves in past and history and think that they would have been the exception to, you know, whatever atrocity was going on at the moment. But a lot of them are ignoring the atrocities that are going on now. So I, I can completely understand that that uh, logic of... of yeah, thinking. and I guess going on from there, it was actually a case of, well, what do I do about it? And again, there wasn't a time when I just kind of sat down and thought, right, I've got to do something. What is it going to be? But in a way, something just sort of fell on my lap in as much as I remember opening, um, just randomly picking up a magazine called the Crusader magazine one day. And um, I'd have been in my early 20s. And I remember there was um, people had written in um, letters into this magazine. I remember reading this letter from somebody. I don't know who they are, but thank you, whoever you are. Um, <laughs> and it was talking about people that prayed outside abortion centres. And yeah. it was encouraging people to go and do this and actually gave some contacts of how you could get involved. And I remember talking about it to um, my sister and one of my brothers. And we all said, yeah, we should go and give this a try, you know. Um, so I found the nearest place, which was Birmingham, which was about an hour from where I lived. Oh, OK. A fair, a fair trek then. Hour, hour by car or walking? Um, it, well, it, it's an hour by car. Initially, I just went on the train and okay. some lovely people met us there on the on the train station. We're really welcoming. Um, and what I'd intended is just to sort of, oh, well, I'll try this and see what it's like. I actually kind of just got more and more involved in it, you know, and I think whereas to start with, maybe I, I had always recognized the truth of the um, value of life in the womb, that a human is a human right from the moment of conception. That's something that I'd always recognized. And I, met, I guess that was what maybe initially spurred me to get involved in pro-life work. Mm -hmm. But through going outside abortion centres um, and initially just being there to pray and other people were the ones having the conversation, but then later on getting involved in conversations with women myself, I began to realise the terrible effects that abortion had on women. You know, you'd, you'd see women going in um, and you'd see the change when they came out. Sometimes you'd see women going in being forced or coerced, you know, um, either it was teenagers being frog marched by parents or clearly a man controlling a woman and pressuring her to go in. And it was clear even just from seeing that, that, that it wasn't really her choice. Um, and just women coming out, you know, being sick in the gutter or sobbing into their phones. And you realize actually, it's not just about the humanity of the child. And, and obviously now where I am now, I, I realize that, you know, the damage that abortion inflicts on women alone, that's enough to make me pro-life. Um, and obviously we know it's not just women, it's men that are very much affected too. So that really kind of opened my heart to the issue going outside the abortion centre. Um, so I, in a way, the fact that that was the first thing I was doing pro-life, I mean, I'd donated and, and prayed about the issue and, and, you know, written letters and those kind of things. But this was maybe the first thing that I physically was getting actively involved in myself. It, it really helped not just to open my mind, but to open my heart to really what was going on. Yeah, I think that is that is a very um thought out reasoning behind it there's so much of this kind of even though abortion itself everyone kind of thinks of it as like a bit of a itself is just a dirty underbelly of society but even that they tried to glamorize it and they've tried to make it seem you know almost like a good thing but there's abortion itself has a that kind of underbelly of the fact that so many women are hurt by it and so few people hear about that so few people know about that and being there at the clinics there to support these women that might not actually want to get the abortions i think even pro many pro-choicers actually would agree with that 
Yeah, and like you're saying, I think recognising for how for many women it isn't a choice, which is something that maybe you don't particularly think about. You might think, well, I don't think this is a great solution to any problem. But to really recognise that a lot of women, you know, are feeling so much under pressure that it isn't really their choice anymore. Um, either either it's someone else influencing and or, or, or it's a circumstance, you know, that they're pressured by their you know the fact that they'll be thrown yeah, out their of their finances or oh. yeah things like that it, it's oh. something we hear often pro-choice people say that you know all of these different circumstances as reasons but then when there are people that are standing outside of clinics trying to help alleviate those circumstances they somehow think that that's a bad thing which is baffling i think yeah, if we believe in choice, then it's got to be a real choice. And, and that has to have two, at least two viable options. And for yeah. women or yeah. couples, it just, just, just isn't true. What led you to founding the March for Life in the UK? Well, in a way, um, it wasn't something that, again, I'd sat down and really thought about. So I was already running 40 Days for Life in Birmingham. Mm -hmm. and um, there's a certain structure to how 40 days runs in as much as you normally have a, a kickoff or a launch event you have an end event or a closing event and you normally have something in the middle to sort of help keep people going through the 40 days yeah and there were some people who were helping me with the campaign and we all agreed that maybe what would be a good thing is to have um, some sort of a, a walk as a midway event so we just decided to have a walk in Birmingham um, from one point to another and just sort of shared it amongst the people who were already involved and just a few other churches and we had a you know a reasonable amount of people maybe about 100 turning up for this walk that we had but it just made us think you know without any effort at all really we'd got 100 people turning up um, what about if we open this up and it's not just a 40 days for life event what about if we actually open it up to other people around the country and have something bigger and so the next year we did that you know we, we separated it from being a 40 days for life event and actually began sharing it around you know maybe different churches where we thought you know there might be pro-life people and just anywhere where people who support the cause um might hear about the message and sure enough you know the numbers increased dramatically and Every year that we've had the March for Life, just numbers have, have grown and grown. And, you know, last year, no exception, um, best numbers ever. So I, I've, I've really seen it grow and not just in the amount of people. But one of the things that's particularly encouraged me is I remember the very first March for Life. And I have to say there was a, there was more older than younger people at mm. the first March for Life. Mm. Now, you certainly don't have to look around to see young people. And that's yeah, something that yeah. so much, many people report back to me. I just can't believe it. There's just so many young people there. And of course, we want people of all ages, but it is really encouraging to see youth taking up this cause as their own. And, and that's really evident at March for Life. I think the the other encouraging thing from the so many young people is it really clashes with the stereotype that pro-choice has tried to paint us with. You know, I think, as, you know, not to toot our own horn, but as abortion resist with just youth and i think that most pro-choice people they think of pro-life people and they think old you know white christian male and as a secular youth group it kind of challenges that and i think march for life does as well you you can't go there and say that they're all old or all white or all christian it's just kind of really they're they're trying to paint pro-lifers as bad so that they don't have to address what we say and i think that march for life does a great job at just dispelling their 
their image of us. Yeah, I mean, one of the sad things I think is about about society is that um, whilst it is really encouraging to see youth, I think sometimes that society can almost be in danger of of sort of washing out any other groups. Um, and actually, you know, I've got a lot of respect for for older people who, for a long time, you know, carried on doing vigils that you know, the, the, like the one I joined. You know, I know there was people who'd been doing it for decades. Um, and, and really kept that flame burning for a long time. And some of them maybe didn't see that many results of what they were doing for a while, um, but really knew that what they were doing was the right thing. And so they carried on. Um, so I have a lot of respect for, you know, some of the giants in the pro-life movement who are, you know, now maybe in their elderly years, but have, have done this work for a long time and not given up. Um, but it is, like you say, really encouraging to see newer generations also taking up the baton and carrying on, because that's what we need. We need the enthusiasm that young people have um, <laughs> to really take the battle as their own. Yeah, I mean, it, this I as much as I would love for this fight to you know end right now, I think it is quite realistic for us to say that this fight, it may very well go on for a lot longer than any of us realise. And you know if we keep up a steady supply of people that are on the the more youthful youthful so uh the youth that are on the more youthful side of it then we we at least know that the the fight isn't going to end with us and and i think it's encouraging to have people and and i see this in the young people as well who really do believe that we can end abortion you know i think there sometimes can be when you've been working at something for a long time people can become a bit sort of fatigued by, by it, a bit weary, you know, it, are we ever going to end abortion? You know, and I think young people have that vision and have that, that determination. We can and we will, you know. I do, um, I do, I do completely agree. There is definitely that, that fatigue with, with not just abortion, but a lot of, a lot of issues that people seem to have been fighting so long for and don't think they've gotten much headway with. And, I think that yeah, that that there shouldn't be any room for fatigue in the pro-life movement because I do agree. I firmly believe that we can and that we will end abortion. I mean, I don't know if I'll see it, but I know that it will happen. So true. <laughs> so as I mentioned at the start of the video, you were recently arrested for your thoughts outside of an abortion clinic. I just wanted to ask you. What 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 were your thought processes around that? Like, did you expect it to happen? Did you were, were you shocked at the the injustice there, the blatant injustice of being arrested for po possible thoughts? They like like you said in the video, you didn't even say you were praying. You said you might be things like that. What what were your thoughts on that process, and how did it all go down? So I think it's important maybe to see a little bit of what was going on around that. So obviously. The, the 40 days for life campaign which i've been running in birmingham we had been praying outside that abortion center um, and we were praying just in groups of two or three you know we didn't even have any posters there just quietly saying some prayers and offering leaflets of help to anyone going in and you know many women who'd accepted that help but when the pspo came into place in birmingham um my volunteers moved outside the pspo zone so they're actually standing at the end of the street barely even in sight of the abortion center and it just happened to be outside a, a church that was sort of like the nearest spots to the edge of the PSPO. And even when they were there, the amount of people, um, local people who were um, being abusive to them, you know, 
telling them how offensive it was that they were there. Um, a lot of them were saying, oh, you know, my children can't sleep at night or, or you know, um, complaining that children had to walk past us and, and, you know, how this was intimidating for them and things. Again, just two or three people standing quietly outside a church saying their prayers. And, and I think it's maybe important to realise this because we can see that certain people who obviously opposed us from an ideological perspective were just trying to make victims all the time, even when clearly there weren't any victims. So when we couldn't possibly be having any effect from a physical perspective, you know, on the abortion centre, you know, they would think, oh, well, what, what can you be doing right down at the end of the road? So they'd start saying, oh, it's children that are being bothered by it, mm, um, mm. you know, and labelling all the men as perverts and paedophiles and, and accusing them of all sorts of other things. And like I say, I, I think that's important to realise because no matter where we were going to stand, we were getting complaints from people in that area. Um, so it was in that sort of atmosphere that I thought actually looking at the wording of the PSPO, um, which banned protesting inside the zone and, and it labelled um, prayer and counselling as forms of protest. I thought, well, you know, my prayer that I've been saying inside that zone has never been a form of protest. You know, I, I've, I don't protest outside abortion centres. Um, so whilst I left my volunteers to pray outside the zone, um, initially I went in four times when the abortion centre was closed. Um, and in my perspective, I thought, you know, this clearly isn't breaking any PSBO. How can it possibly be? Like you were saying, my my own silent thoughts that weren't being manifested in any way. I wasn't, you know, holding a Bible or a set of rosary beads or, you know, I wasn't saying anything out loud. I didn't have any leaflets. I was just simply standing there. You know, somebody walking past could have thought I was, you know, waiting for a friend or, or mm. whatever it might be. Um, so... It was it was quite shocking, really, to have the response that there was um, to be arrested. And it does kind of beg the question of who's intimidating who, you know, especially when they went to such lengths to have a very thorough search of me on the pavement, um, which went on for ages, even searching all through my hair. And it, it, it seemed very over the top um, and then taking me to the police station and, and you know, locking me in a cell for hours, quizzing me about what I'd been thinking about. And I know some people say, oh, well, it wasn't about your thoughts. If that's the case, why were the police so interested in what I was thinking about? Why under caution was mm. I asked? What was, what was in my head? What was I thinking about? I remember even asking that back to the police saying, you want to know what I was, what I was praying for, what I was thinking about? And they said, yes. Um, and after being acquitted of that, you can see that in a way, pretty much the same thing happened. I was exactly the same spot, again, silently saying my prayers in my head, not manifesting that in any way, and again, arrested. And, and on this occasion, the police officer even said that, you know, my prayers were the offence, mm. which and it, it, maybe it's, weren't it's, being said out loud. Yeah. It is so insane that something as simple as prayer is now seen as an offence. Even silent prayer in your head something that the at least the first time they were assuming about you no one no one like you said no one would know that you were praying no one has any right to know what you're thinking at all you were just standing on a street in what could just be just coincidence that you were near an abortion clinic it, and also it's, it's very discriminatory because we see that a, a prayer is effectively somebody's thoughts directed towards a god that they believe in you know so 
-hmm. If somebody's thinking those same thoughts, but they're not directed towards their God, then there's not anything saying that those thoughts can't be said in that area. Yeah, that's so that is discriminatory against people of religious beliefs, whether that be Christian or otherwise. Obviously, predominantly it's Christian that goes outside the abortion centers. So to say that I can't have my thoughts in that area because they're directed towards God, but someone else can if they're else directed elsewhere or they're just thinking to themselves, that's discrimination, which we're supposed to be so big on nowadays and not being discriminatory towards groups, but maybe yeah, it, it seems it, it like is... it's a fair game. It is it seemingly just any anything that they can use to hurt the pro-life movement in any way, regardless of if it is discriminatory, regardless of if it infringes on your rights to have free thought. They're just using whatever they can to either tarnish us, like you said, calling calling these people that were outside a church that were at the end of the road of an abortion clinic that were just praying to themselves, calling them paedophiles and things like that. It's just such ludicrous uh insults for clearly no reason or with no basis other than just to try and tear you down and either make you want to quit or make other people not want to listen to you and it I it's think interesting it is, for 40 yeah. days we had a car parked outside the church where we were praying outside the buffer zone and it had a a, a poster on the you know, pasted on the side of the car that said 93% of the people in this area don't want you here. Um, and the amount of people that used to come past and quietly go to us, I'm part of the 7%. <laughs> and I think it reminded me, I think we've got more supporters than we realise. And even in that area where there's a lot of people who are very vociferous, those who do oppose us, but there's a lot and I, and I think even more so now since the arrest, there's people who have really awakened to it. People who will say, you know, I don't share your religious beliefs, but I still think you should be allowed to pray. Or mm -hmm. I don't agree with you from a pro-life perspective. You know, I, I actually support abortion, but I can't see anything wrong with what you're doing. And, and I think people are becoming wise to what's going on here, you know, and they can only cover that up for so long. With, with what they're doing. And I think people, as I say, are beginning to become a little bit concerned uh, about you know, what's going on in the culture here and that it is just one perspective that is being totally silenced from society. Um, there was a campaign going on to actually get rid of us from outside the church. People were going, the church needs to move. This is an old church that's been there for decades. The problem with the PSPOs or with buffer zones is that they're really fostering this sense of intolerance in society, that if someone's got an opinion that we don't agree with, if, if they've got different views to us, that we just want to completely cancel them out of society. And that's just not healthy, whatever perspective that might be, even if we disagree with it. We need to be able to have healthy conversations about different opinions without no, just I, trying I to completely agree. somebody. I, and as an atheist myself, I completely agree that it, whilst I don't share your religious beliefs, I think that you have the innate right to hold them and to practice them wherever you may wish. The prayer should not be a crime anywhere. If you want to stand in the street, if you want to be in your own home, if you want to be anywhere, that it, it shouldn't be something that the government have any worry over i i believe and i do completely agree with what you're saying as well many people are waking up to this kind of astonishing injustice i i have friends that are pro-choice and i have other friends like myself that aren't religious and they they've heard your story i've told them about it and they they thought 
that it was they 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 thought I I couldn't have been right when I said that you were arrested for your thoughts. Um, but it's just something that it seems like such a step out of line for the authority to do to arrest you. You were right. so really many had people, no right. People have said exactly the same thing that you're just saying there to me. That there must have been more to it, you know. Mm, and I mm. think that's why some people have thought, oh, you weren't allowed in the PSPO. That's why you were arrested. And it's important for people to realize PSPOs don't ban people; they ban behavior. And yeah, you're allowed to stand there the as, as much as you want. It can't. It can't say that a person can can't come into the area. That's just that's just not true. That's not that's not like a restraining order. Mm. So if the only thing I was doing was praying then that's what I'm being arrested for. And like I say, that's why I was quizzed on it so much. Yeah, it, it, it is very crazy. Because as well, if you think about it from a, another perspective, there are many women that I'm sure you, you've spoken to many in the past who are going to abortion clinics who are, who are themselves are praying. They are themselves praying that they have a better life. And it, it's weird that whilst it says it bans prayer in the area, it they're allowing certain kinds of prayer but not others it seems blatantly targeted yeah it's, it's an interesting point that you pick up because the amount of women that we've supported who when asked you know what why did you talk to these people or what made you change your mind they say well before i got to the abortion center i prayed for a sign i've heard that so many times and not just from in my campaign when i talked to maybe people who work at the Good Council Network in London or other 40 days campaigns around the country. That is a really common thing that people will pray for a sign. And I think it also actually maybe indicates how uncertain people often are of, of mm -hmm. whether they want an abortion or not. You know, if something just as little as a sign is going to convince them otherwise, it shows that they haven't fully made up their mind when they get to the abortion center. You know, yes, there might be some people who have absolutely decided this is definitely what I, what I want to do or what I'm going to do, but there are certainly many people who are still unsure or at least are thinking, well, you know, if there was another option open to me, I remember um, talking to um, a young woman, she was in her teens, her late teens, and we had a conversation and, you know, we ended up um, going with her to a crisis pregnancy centre. And the person at the crisis pregnancy centre said, you know, so ultimately what made you stop and talk to that woman outside the abortion centre? And she said that the, the day before, she said, she said nobody else ever knew I was pregnant. She said, not my boyfriend, family, parents, nobody knew I was pregnant. And she said, um, it was a, this was a Muslim girl and she said the whole day before she'd been walking around town in Birmingham and she said I'd, I'd asked God show me a sign and she said I walked around town for hours just thinking that some sort of sign would come to me to show me what to do and she said there was nothing she said that's why I decided the next day I was going to go and get an abortion and she said when I got to the abortion center I saw the cross that lady was holding it was actually my, my rosary which had a cross at the end of it and she mm -hmm. said for me that was my sign which was really interesting because she's a Muslim and obviously Muslims have different ideas about the cross to Christians. But that was all it took for that woman to, to want to stop and have a conversation. Um, and ultimately, she, you know, she ended up continuing her pregnancy and, and was really happy with the support that she got. Um, and, and, and many are like her. Just, it was just that she felt so alone. She just felt she couldn't talk to anyone, didn't know how to start those conversations with people around her. And was just feeling so, so isolated at such a kind of vulnerable point in her life. And to think that she was going to have an abortion just because of that. Um, yeah, it, 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 is, I, it is. It is. It is crazy the way that we push for the, the uh, as a society, you know, we push for the idea choice. You know, people do this just because it's absolutely necessary. 
But if you're looking at the majority of cases, most people don't, they they are in that kind of uncertainty. Very few people are a hundred percent sure that an abortion is the best thing for them when they when they're doing it. And like you said, lots of them are doing it because of you know either they feel they're unable to speak to other people or they just feel pressured by you know their finances or education or their career. And the fact that you're you were standing outside abortion clinics and offering this help. I think that it just gives them a, a way out if they didn't see one before. And I don't see how anyone can oppose that, really. Yeah, that, that's why we find there's so many lies made up about people outside abortion centre, because the truth of people standing there just offering leaflets of help, clearly there's not a problem with that. So we keep seeing these, you know, other silly stories being shared of women being chased down streets and pelted with fetal mm. models or whatever else we read about in the in the news yeah um, they, they try and again it's the same tactic as before trying to paint you as the worst people possible so that no one has to hear what you have to say and it's it, i mean it's a tactic that's unfortunately found itself to be very effective but i can hope that once people do hear what you have to say and see that you aren't that kind of person that hopefully that tactic will stop working Okay, so I have one final question for you. As someone that's been in the pro-life movement for so long, what's a piece of advice you would give to any of the pro-life youth or really anyone today who's who feels pro-life, they're sympathetic to the pro-life position, but they haven't really got the courage to go out and speak publicly about it or you know they, they feel like they might get backlash from their friends, family, local social community. What advice would you give to them? Um, I guess to start with, I'd say I may, maybe rather than giving advice to others, I'd give my advice to my former self. I'm always wary of giving advice to others. It can sound a bit like I, I think I'm a know-it-all and <laughs> I need advice just as much as anyone else. But maybe if I was sort of talking to my former self before I'd got involved or, or before I'd got as much involved as I am, um, I, I would firstly maybe just warn myself of, of being, don't, don't be too wary of getting committed. And I, you know, and I see this with a lot of people, maybe sort of, um, that slight hesitation about committing too much to, to any sort of pro-life work. And there can be a, a hesitation to start with. Um, and, and what you gain from it is just way, way more than whatever that you have to renounce. You know, and I know from myself, I'm somebody who's not, you know, naturally that much of a sort of sociable person. I find talking to strangers quite difficult and things like that. But what I have gained with doing the work, you know, I, I had to get out of my comfort zone to do it but my heart has just opened up to this issue so much more. Um, so I would really encourage people to kind of like, you know, not be afraid to step out of that comfort zone. Um, you know, particularly if it's, if it's younger people, because I know sometimes, you know, they've got so many things going on in their life that they're sort of, you know, to actually regularly commit to anything pro-life can seem such a big thing. Um, but at the same time, as I was just saying, the, the, the culture being so youth orientated, it can mean so much to, you know, if young people do get involved. Um, but I, I would think particularly for younger people or for anyone who's maybe not delved that much into the pro-life movement, it is really important to be to be wary of language. And I think that's something that really influences the culture more than more than we recognize. Um, so we have what we call um, Rethink Abortion Training Days that we run as March for Life. And one of the things that we do there is we look at the language and how that can really affect things. And from a pro-life perspective, 
Um, even things like, um, you know, when someone's pregnant and maybe if they're given a diagnosis for their child of, of you know, a, a heart problem or Down syndrome or a disability, and we're told there's there's a risk that your child might have Down syndrome or there's a danger that your child's got a disability. Are those, as though those are things that, that are risky and dangerous, like, mm. uh, you know, children with Down syndromes aren't, aren't a risk to us, you know, people with disabilities aren't dangerous people. Um, even the fact that when people talk about contraception, they'll talk about it as protection. Um, mm. You know, we have to be really careful about what the language is kind of subliminally telling us. You know, I've, I've heard really good pro-life people use these kind of words, not realizing what they themselves are sharing. They're sharing this sort of negative view of children or a negative view of disabilities or whatever it might be. Um, so I think be really aware of the language. And that that is you know throughout the pro-life movement even if it's just like people saying oh there's people protesting outside the abortion center have a look for yourself because what they're doing is out in public are they protesting or are they simply standing there offering help and maybe saying some quiet prayers um be wary of what what the language is and then make sure that you don't fall a, a victim to that as well and you know if someone is using words that you don't think are true nicely kindly call them out on it you know even if it might be one of your fellow pro-lifers try and do that in a charitable way but i think it's really important that we help the discussion by using the correct words um and we see that even with things like the words fetus and embryo how they are used to dehumanize children yes they are accurate terms but let's at least say a human embryo or a human fetus because we know that sometimes those words can be used as i say solely to try and dehumanize what's in the womb so just be really aware of language. And I, and I think that kind of can really help us to, to be more motivated in the pro-life movement when we actually recognize it for what it is, you know? Um, and, you know, I always say that when we're talking about abortion, what we need to do is get to the heart of the issue, which is what does it mean to be pregnant? And when we answer that question, honestly, like I say, not using language that is trying to obfuscate the truth, you know, when we're not just saying blobs of cells or even just a fetus, if we actually are honest in answering that question, I think that in itself motivates us to do something about it. Because when we recognize it, it is a human being inside the womb, you know, from a scientific perspective, and we know that abortion ends the life of that human being, how can we not do something about it? Whatever that might be, and that'll be different for every person. But you know, surely if we recognize that human lives are being ended, and like I say, that is going to have an enormous effect on the woman involved as well as the man, but clearly the woman from a physical perspective, she's carrying that child. So when we really realize that the damage that abortion is inflicting on women, as I say, if we've got a heart, we, we've got to get involved and do something, whatever small bit that might be, um, let's find our own part in, in the movement. I couldn't agree more. And I think a part of what you said did really stick with me. There's there's nothing really too small that you can do that is trying to help. As long as you're trying to do something, even if you just have a conversation with someone one-to-one, -one, I think that, and you're trying to open up their mind, I think even that can be a massive change because you might have changed their mind. And even changing one person's mind is a is a big thing it's an important thing so i think a lot of people especially uh, younger people they see all these you know celebrities they see all these big names rich people with massive followings millions of people following them they think i can't really do anything to match their 
influence and yes it's true most people won't ever get that level of influence but everyone does have a little bit of influence and to use that whatever way they can like you said there's there's nothing too small that you can do if you're trying to help and you're quite right in as much as it can it can sometimes take such little words or actions to help a woman realize she can continue a pregnancy um and that's always something that i feel very deeply is, is 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 such a sad thing when sometimes you know like i was sharing with that story i just shared but you know often when i've spoken to women it's just something really simple if someone said to me you know you can do this or if someone said to me you know you're not good you know you're not going to be able to cope with an abortion you know you're, you're worth more than that and just something simple um particularly for men i have to say men have have a massive influence and they they do need to recognize that that their words are really powerful particularly from for women who've maybe not experienced, um, you know, genuine affirmation from men and are maybe used to have being used to, in a certain way by men, to have men who can really affirm them in who they are, um, particularly when they're maybe going through difficult times to do with pregnancy, that is really, really powerful. Uh, yeah, I, I completely agree. I think people, a lot of the time, the no uterus, no opinion thing, it gets to a lot of people, especially the more, uh, the more anxious pro-lifers and you know a lot of the pro-choice men the idea that abortion is solely on the woman whereas you know everyone realizes that it takes two to make a child and the child is just as much the man's responsibility as it is the woman's and that means that you know helping the choice happen organically helping there actually be a choice other than abortion be another path that is a responsibility that the man has to have as well. And I think that a lot of a lot of men don't realize how much of a sway they will have one day, possibly when they get a, 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 their girlfriends or wives pregnant and don't realize that, yes, whilst it might not be in your body, that the child is still yours and that you still have a responsibility and uh, a need to help in that situation. I think that there's a reason why those who support abortion want to silence men in this debate. They know how powerful a man's voice is, um, for good or for bad. You know, the amount of women who have an abortion because their their boyfriend or the father of their child is telling them, you know, I'll leave if you continue the pregnancy, or you're, you know, you can't do this. You, you know, you're not good enough, effectively, um, or just telling them straight out, you go and get an abortion because I tell you to, you know that's a powerful men's vo man's voice but being used for the wrong reasons but a man saying to a it woman, happens far too often but equally those small things that a man can say to support a woman can make a huge amount of difference and i just you know i, I know for men it can be really difficult because you know it can be quite humiliating sometimes you know the sort of things that people can throw at them and say it you know say to them when they're involved in pro-life work don't let that put you off you know as a man you have to be big enough to to take that um and you definitely have got a place in the pro-life movement and, and a really strong one and a, and a very much needed one i couldn't agree more with you so i think that's a wrap it has been awesome having you here isabel i would just want to let our viewers know where can they find you on social media so definitely go to our website, marchforlife.co.uk um, and join in one of our um, abortion rethink training days or um, make sure you've got the date in your diary for the 2nd of September for March for Life this year. But there's loads of other things going on. So go to the website and find that out. 
or any of our social media platforms, whether that's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and get in touch if you want to get involved. If there's anything that you think you can offer the pro-life movement, you're not sure where your sphere is, um, get in touch with us and, and we'll help you find your place in the pro-life movement. Perfect. And as always, thank you viewers for tuning in and you can find us at Abortion Resist on any social media platform. And if you would like to DM us with any requests or suggestions in the future, we will definitely take that into consideration. You can also get in contact with us through our website, abortionresistance.org.uk. And we have plenty of blogs and different materials available on there. Thank you for watching.